George Park has been studying astronomy for over a decade. He is the co-founder of ubcosmology.com and has done extensive research into how the Arantia book narrative of our universe fits with current theory and what today's star researchers could learn from the Arantia book, including two recent discoveries Park will discuss that will completely change the whole notion of the general theory of the so-called Big Bang. This time up on Perspectives on Urantia Radio. You started reading the Urantia book in 71. What, what was it about the book that, that made you interested, it raised your eyebrows? I'm interested in everything, so I guess you could say I have a more or less philosophical perspective. Um, so, but the whole thing appealed to me. Um, yes, scientific content appealed to me, but also the spiritual and philosophical content, the whole the whole thing. So, um, I don't know, I, I just took to it immediately. I just, uh, it's hard to describe. Yeah, it wasn't anything I was looking for. Um, a lot of folks that I that I talked to have somewhat similar stories. You know, they were either asking for information or they were disenchanted, but they were still searching. Uh, you know, that kind of it, it always seems to involve one of those two scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah talking to people, it's it's been similar, although. Some people have come to it mostly, have been attracted mostly by the, the spiritual aspects of it, understandably. Sure. Um, I was attracted to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So you got into astronomy when, and when did you start tackling some of them, the information in the Urantia book? I mean, I've always been interested, but it was really uh, when I retired about 12 years ago more or less, I mean, semi-retired, that I really uh, started examining the, uh, you know, the, the, astro- the astronomy um, in the book. So uh, I don't have any formal training as an astronomer, but I have a great interest, so I, you know, applied myself and started looking for evidence um, that would either support or refute um, what the Arantia book says about how the universe is organized. So at that point, um, I came across an article about the Sloan Digital Sky Survey and how it was uh, in the process of surveying the northern celestial hemisphere. And then I came across shortly thereafter um, an article on NASA's extragalactic database where um, all of this information from Sloan Digital Sky Survey plus other surveys were being uh, amalgamated uh, by NASA into a single database, which currently is the issue called the Worldwide uh, Authority on everything that beyond the borders of our galaxy. So shortly thereafter, um, in 2007, I started, because before that I had looked in the standard um, astronomical sources and even looking in Wikipedia and such things. 
trying to see if there was anything that looked like a space level. Um, and there really, there doesn't, there really isn't anything out there. So I went into uh, NASA's database and I said, well, show me everything with a redshift that puts it within 36 million light years because that distance is the approximate distance of a region astronomers call the local volume where there's a higher concentration of galaxies beyond 10 megaparsecs or about 35 million light years. The uh, number of galaxies drops off significantly in most directions. So I said, show me everything in there, and, and looking at it, I found this circular arrangement of galaxies, um, which seems still, uh, 10 years later, consistent with what the Arantia book describes as the superuniverse space level. So what you're trying to do there is you're taking what our scientists, what our astronomers now sort of considered within a 36 million light year area, and then at that point, with diminishing frequency, there's less star activity, nebular activity, uh, uh, suns, other kinds of suns, variable suns. Are you saying that we're in a, a concentrated area that seems to mirror how the Arantia book describes Orvinton, the super-universe, or is it more local, uh, where you're m maybe looking at a section of, of this super-universe? Um, okay. I, I was looking for evidence of the super-universe space level, which is, consists of seven super-universes, Orvinton being one of those. Um, and there's been a great debate amongst people who read the book who have looked into this about how big Orvantan is, our super universe. Um, and, well, it, it varies from people have come up with conclusions that the Milky Way uh, and its satellites are Orvantan. And they've concluded that um, the center of Orvantan is located in the Virgo cluster, which is 50 million light years away. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's a great disparity, but I pretty much uh, anchor my idea of what Orvantan is on two facts. One is they tell us directly that Orvantan, uh, Uversa, which is at the center of Orvantan, is a little more than 200,000 light years from us. So that puts it about, um, well, the, the Milky Way, which is said to be the central nucleus of Orvantan, is uh, about 100,000 light years in diameter. So Uversa is twice that diameter from us. So it's relatively close by. The other major feature, or the other major fact in the book, is that everything in Orvantan revolves around Uversa. So Uversa is the center of revolution. 
when we're looking at a cross-section of the Milky Way at night and we see the broad, right. is that the heartbeat or the center? Are we looking at our super universe or is that just the middle of it and then on the other side is a continuation out to the outer borders of it? In other words, how much of Oravantan do we actually see when we look up put some perspective into what we're what science thinks is the universe versus what the urantia book declares is the universe i can put it this way uh according to the current standard model of cosmology universe has no center there is no place in the universe where the number of galaxies is greater than any other place in the universe. In other words, there is no order or structure to the universe. That's the current theory, which is, of course, completely contradicted by what the book says, which says that galaxies are concentrated, I mean, apart from the first space level, which is Havona, which consists of one billion worlds plus the Isle of Paradise, apart from that, uh, all the other space levels, of which there are an additional five, um, exist or have a structure which looks like um, concentrically arranged rings or toruses. They're like donuts, concentrically arranged. And within those donuts are the majority of the universes, the majority of the galaxies are contained. So the picture they paint is completely different from what standard cosmology paints. There is no such thing as these donuts, concentrically arranged um, rings of galaxies. They, they say that doesn't exist. But they also say that the universe is expanding, but wouldn't it be consistent to say that if the universe is expanding, then it had an original point where it expanded from moving outward. So are they, are, is current science saying that there is expansion, but there's not a central point where that expansion occurred from? Exactly. What they say is that the universe doesn't expand, expand from one point in space. It expands from every point in space. When we look at current CMB maps, we see a flat disk of energy. That seems to be more consistent with the Urantia book portrayal of the, as you call it, the plane of creation. In other words, you're, you, you stated a correct fact, which is current science, astronomy, astrophysics, looks at the universe as a giant balloon with many different points where things expanded from, but the CMB seems to show that energy is more elongated along a plane. Is that correct? Essentially, yes. Well, what they've discovered is that there's, there are minor temperature fluctuations in the otherwise uniform temperature of the cosmic mm. microwave background. Mm -hmm. And those temperature fluctuations seem to align uh, with a plane that is similar to the ecliptic plane. Yeah, And so, as a result, 
that's considered an anomaly. In other words, uh, scientists, although they can't dismiss it, especially since it was found by the Wilkinson microwave anastropic, I forget, WMAP. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. <laughs> there was a satellite, <laughs> yeah, called WMAP. And that was, I don't know, 10 years ago they discovered this. And then they said, well, wait till the Planck mission, which was another satellite with 10 times the sensitivity in measuring the temperature of the cosmic microwave background. Wait till that goes up and we'll see if it's still there. Well, they found it's still there. This this planar alignment of what they call multipoles in the cosmic microwave background. And there's no... There's no way that the current model of cosmology can explain that. Mm-hmm. So it's just, they, can, they consider it an unexplained thing. However, that plane also happens to align with the plane of this super-universe space level that I was talking about previously. And it also aligns with the plane of the Sloan Great Wall, which is 1.4 billion years long in an arc that's 1.4 billion years long and about 1 billion light years away. So you've got two cosmic structures, the super-universe space level and the Sloan Gray Wall, which is another arc of galaxies, which align with the, the same plane that defines... Of course, you, you remember the, the um, super-universe, there are five super-universe space levels, right. if you don't consider a volume. Mm-hmm. So the first one is the super-universe space level. And from my research, the radius uh, of that donut region, the radius is 9 million light years. The only thing between that and the Sloan Great... There is nothing between that and the Sloan Great Wall. So the Sloan Great Wall really has to be the first outer space level. So for those who uh, are trying to conceptualize all of this, a bird's-eye view of what George Park's saying about uh, the plane of creation, if you're looking at it from a bird's-eye point of view, there would be an inner circle, which would be the Isle of Paradise, surrounded by another circle, which is Havona, the one billion perfected worlds. Beyond that is where the super-universe level is, comprised of seven right. uh, circles, each containing up to, what, 10 trillion potential worlds. With the advancements that we've made with all of the photography and digital and Hubble and all of the different uh, ways that we measure spectrum, uh, is it fair to say that we have a current view of the entire grand universe? Let me go back to a, a looking at it a different way, which is to answer the question, how big is the universe of Orvanton? Yes. Our, our super-universe. So there are seven of these things, which they tell us are equal-sized, and they're arranged around... Uh, it, they form... Seven of these form the super-universe space level. So if we know how big Orvanton is, and we know the circumference of the super-universe space level, and we know how far it is to the center where Havona and Paradise are. So the the key um, point that they make 
in the book is that everything in Orvantan revolves around Uversa, which is pretty near us. Mm-hmm. So, which means that as Uversa revolves around Paradise, everything in Orvantan moves with um, the Milky Way, essentially, mm-hmm. because we're pretty nearby the center. So, what science, what astronomers have determined, actually they, they pretty much determined this in 1935 with the work of Edwin Hubble, uh, they determined that in 1935 they had identified eight galaxies um, which were bound together with the Milky Way, which in this, the current estimate of the uh, radius uh, extending from our location to the edge of this group of galaxies, which is called the local group, is approximately 3.5 million light years. But it could be as far as 4 million light years. So all of these galaxies are traveling with the Milky Way, which is near the center of Orvantan. So dynamically, the only group of galaxies which Orvantan can be would be the local group. Because as far as astronomers have been able to determine, no other galaxies, no galaxies beyond 4 million light years from us are bound to the local group and move with it. Galaxies beyond that distance move independently of uh, the gravitational field that holds the local group together. When we look at the Milky Way, that supercluster of, of all kinds of stars and nebulae and everything else, what are we looking at? Okay, you, you mentioned that they said that we had identified eight of the uh, major sectors in Orvantan in 1935, mm-hmm. right? Yes. In 1936, when Hubble published his Realm of the Nebula, uh, where he identifies the local group as consisting of eight galaxies plus the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. Okay, this so is the same local. Group I get it. That oh. I was just talking about. Oh, I get it. Okay, now so, I get it. So when we're looking at the Milky Way, we're really looking at one one tenth of what comprises Orbiton as far as the as a local group concerns. Correct. More or less, the the Milky the Milky Way the galaxy Milky Way galaxy. I believe is the major sector of Splanda. Got it. Understood. The major sector is like one tenth. We're listening to Perspectives on Urantia Radio, and my special guest is uh, astronomer and Urantia book researcher uh, George Park, who did a wonderful presentation in 2016. If you were fortunate enough to attend the science symposium, this is new data that you've discovered, and I want to get into the plan of creation and again the Big Bang. And I'm looking at a headline, George. Stephen Hawking thinks he knows what happened before the Big Bang. When when they talk about 13.8 billion years is when everything began, what are they talking about? Did, are, are, are they simply basing that on the ability for us to be able to see things that are that far away? And that seems like a... Why, why is science so dead set or in favor of promoting this concept of the Big Bang of accidental causation. Why do you suppose they've taken such a militant approach 
to putting this out? Um, well, I, I could speculate, but I think the most direct answer to your question is that modern science has to explain everything mathematically. And the only mathematical description uh, that modern cosmology has at this point is Einstein's general theory of relativity. And according to this theory, um, when space expands, it expands from every point in every direction in the same way. So there is no center to an expansion. Whenever you, whenever you read something about this, they say, imagine the surface of a balloon. Right. And now draw a circle on the surface of the balloon. Now blow the balloon up. Well, every molecule in that surface of the balloon is moving away from every other molecule. Mm. So you, that gives you a two-dimensional analogy of, but that's not what's happening. That's an analogy for what they're saying is happening in three dimensions. So you can't you can't imagine it in three dimensions. You can Im- you can imagine it in two dimensions, which right. is why they always use these two dimensional analogies. But you can't imagine it in three dimensions because it's not space as we imagine it. Uh, and you bring up in your symposium that based on science, entropy. But if if right. science contends that entropy is the law of the universe, and in your symposium you declare that. Uh, there are really two things going on. There is the physical, but then there is also the com- the complexity of life, which seems to perfect and adapt and grow. So they're sort of mutually exclusive principles, and yet they both exist uh, all around us. So how does science how does science explain that no- something came from nothing? I mean, even here, uh, talking with I'm quoting the article today, but says. Talking with Neil deGrasse Tyson on his popular Star Talk radio program, Stephen Hawking dives into the nitty-gritty of what existed before the Big Bang. As Hawking puts it, the answer is, quote, nothing. Of course, it's a bit deeper than that, so put on your thinking caps because we're about to get weird. Uh, that's basically the consensus is that before the 14 billion years ago, nothing existed in the universe, and then all of a sudden you have and who can measure, doesn't that, doesn't that make you sometimes frustrated that science is so bullheaded about a theory that doesn't even make any sense? Um, certainly, from, from my perspective, um, I think the Arantia book makes a lot more sense, uh, especially since it says that uh, God creates energy from what we think of as nothing, but it actually comes from an absolute called the unqualified absolute. Mm-hmm. That makes as much sense to me. In fact, it makes more sense to me than this idea uh, that energy is an inherently an eternal reality, which was never created, which is the scientific perspective. So they, you know, science, uh, because of three centuries of conflict, in my view, because of three centuries of conflict between science and religion, uh, they've gone to different sides of the room, and neither one will listen to what the other has to say. Mm-hmm. So scientists do everything they can to avoid ever bringing in God or the supernatural into whatever they're talking about. And religionists, by and large, tend to completely disregard 
scientific knowledge because they see it as antagonistic, and it has been, to what they believe. So you've got this sort of double-truth universe uh, mm-hmm. where people are forced to live where they say, well, science works, but I don't want to think scientifically when I think about God because God has nothing to do with science. But the Arantia book tells us that you know the source of science, I mean, science, scientific truth, there is such a thing as scientific truth just as there is spiritual truth, mm-hmm. and they both come from God. So the Arantia book presents a much higher level perspective of how the two can be uh, coordinated. And part of what I tried to do in that presentation was to elevate (laughs) the perspective to that level where you can see that the the Rancher book does provide uh, certain general scientific truths about the universe as well as general spiritual truths about um, religious experience. The thing I liked about your presentation, George, uh, is you brought up one good point, which I have long argued is extremely valid. If you can show pattern and you can show design, then that shows intent, and intent can only come from a a person or a being of, 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 of will. So... Exactly. It isn't the isn't the the premise is that by showing the plane of creation, that indicates design, correct? Exactly. Exactly, and that's um, the biggest reason why. Well, maybe it's not the biggest reason, but that's a major reason why science is dead set on um, dead set against anyone discovering any sort of overall pattern or structure to the universe because that undermines their whole premise that there is nothing but mindless physical law governing everything. If that was true, then the law of entropy would, would, uh, universe would be a completely disorganized place, which is what they have to, they have to maintain that position. Otherwise they open up this whole question about pattern and intelligent design and uh, then the, if you have intelligent design design then you have intelligence and you know it leads it leads away from the scientific level up to the philosophical and uh, religious levels which they mm, yeah like I said there's the, there's this three century long antagonism between science and religion. You mentioned that uh, in Galileo's time when he proved that the Earth wasn't the center of our solar system. And so you mentioned that it took almost 50 years before the rest of the scientific community started realizing or accepting the fact that they were wrong and he was right. So in a sense, we're sort of seeing that now with the Big Bang. You know, again, until a theory can be repeated and proved, uh, it's really just a theory. But yet it's put out as... Fact: People f- sort of think of the universe as being this mind, this mindless, you know, event that just sort of occurred on its own accord, which makes no sense, uh, you know. So I don't want to dwell on that too much, but I'm sure as an astronomer yeah. and as a researcher, you have mentioned and you mentioned to me before that you've done some research. What can the astronomy community at large learn from the Arantia book? What should be what should we be looking at now in the Arantia book that could give us some clear signs 
as to what's really going on in the universe? Looking for cosmic structures. In other words, looking for a concentration, uh, a ring-like concentration of galaxies which form the super-universe space level. Uh, we, we can, it's already been, in 2003, they already identified the Sloan Great Wall, which lies in a plane that's pretty nearly the same plane as the celestial equator. It's uh, about approximately one billion light years away, and it has a length of about 1.4 billion light years. The reason why, well, one of the reasons why uh, it's not longer, why we, is because they haven't done systematic surveys of the southern southern uh, hemisphere. So, um, right. in another five years, in another five years, they're going to bring on a telescope down in Chile known as the Large Synoptic Scanning Telescope. And that's going to do in the Southern Hemisphere what the Sloan Digital Sky Survey has done in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's essentially going to double the amount of um, number of galaxies that we can see mm-hmm. by looking at the other half of the uh, sky. So it's, it's I'm fairly convinced that once they do that, they're going to discover that the Sloan Great Wall actually extends around into the southern hemisphere. So these are things that can be looked for, and if if they find a, essentially a ring-like structure of galaxies a billion light years away from us that encircles us in a plane, and that plane happens to be the same plane that what they call the axis of evil. <laughs> and they call it the axis of evil because it completely contradicts what uh, the standard model of cosmology. So, I mean, those are things that can be looked... I've looked for um, the super-universe space level, and uh, I think I've found it. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm currently working on um, identifying each of the galaxies uh, in, in that region and what size they are. Um, how they're distributed, and uh, so far, things are, are uh, my research is showing that they're arranged in the way that we would expect. Have you ever wanted to reach out to, say, if you re- come across a report in the news that you know is flat out, you know in your heart, it's like, gosh, I got to get that researcher this Urantia book because they're close. Have you ever had that impulse, and have you ever actually done it? I've had the impulse and I've successfully resisted it. Um, mm. Because Why? any uh, any researcher, any scientific researcher, gets all of his money um, through committees and the government. I see. And they don't want to come off they, looking nuts. If they were, yeah, if they were ever to, to um, indicate their idea, their support for the idea that there are large, super large cosmic structures which violate uh, the standard model of cosmology, they would be blacklisted. Right. So I, I just, I, I can't see them putting their careers on the line. According to the Big Bang Theory, um, since space expands from every point in every direction in the same way, the Sloan Great Wall should have existed uh, when the universe was just, you know, a thousand years old or mm-hmm. a million years old, because 
because space expands and because they think they know how space expands, structures in the universe remain homologous. The only thing that changes is the scale. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Sloan Great Wall should have looked just like it looks now, only one one-thousandth of its size near the beginning of the universe. Mm-hmm. So they can't say, in other words, they, they can't argue that the Sloan Great Wall formed after the universe engaged in a big bang of some mm-hmm. sort. Mm-hmm. It, it had to be there almost from the very beginning. And there's no way to explain that either. But these are all things, these are all issues they don't want to address because it violates their fundamental belief that we, everything begins in chaos. Mm-hmm. Which we, there's no other, there's nothing else in life you can point to to prove that. There's no other instances in biology or uh, geology where chaos was the precursor to organization. Dark holes, dark islands of space, dark matter, these are all things that we're only now really discovering. And yet the Arantia book was uh-huh. writing about dark islands of space uh, in 1934. Is anybody paying attention to that? Right. Uh, was that pretty revelatory, or was was there some sort of hint to dark matter and, and gravitational, you know, collapsed stars? Did we know about collapsed stars and dark matter and, and, and dark energy in 1934, um, I'm not. I'm not sure about uh, dark islands or, you know, uh, high constant, you know, or collapsed stars. But those are not the same thing as dark matter. Dark matter is um, a, uh, it has, it has, it interacts with gravitational energy, but it doesn't interact with electromagnetic you think- or the strong nuclear force or the weak nuclear force. It's, it's ultimatons. Ultimatons okay. do not interact with linear gravity. Uh, they're not electronic matter. They're the substance from which electronic matter evolves. You're saying that the characteristics that they're discovering now in astrophysics about dark matter is sort of indicative of the same characteristics that the Arantia book writers describe when they're talking about ultimatons or ultimatons, as you exactly. call it. Exactly, yeah. Okay. I mean, that, that's my interpretation of it. I mean, Is there anything in the Arantia book that stands out as prophetic? scientifically prophetic, in other words, stuff that they said that nobody knew about that now we've discovered to be true? Any any examples? Yeah, the, the Sloan Great Wall and the super universe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, the Sloan Great Wall was discovered in 2003. You know, they said there was this, for the first outer space level was a ring or a belt of uh, activity that completely encircles us in a plane, on the plane of creation. And so they talked about that in 1935, or you could use the publication date of 1955. Right. The Slum Great Wall wasn't discovered until 2003. So they knew about it 50 years before anyone could have known about it. Mm-hmm. And you can make the same, same argument about the super universe ring of galaxies, which are now observable um, in the existing data, NASA's extra galactic database. They predicted that. That wasn't visible until after the turn of the century. So those are two prophetic, uh, two predictions that you can uh, 
set in, David, and now they're being borne out. When you mathematically, sh- through the data that you collected from the Arantia book, and determined that the Isle of Paradise, God's residence, was 9.7 million miles away, how did that make you feel? Because it made me feel Amazing. really good. I thought he was a lot farther away, frankly. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten that from a lot of people. They say, how can it be so close? Well, I don't know. I'm just looking at the data. And this this ring of the super-universe space level has a uh, diameter from the central core to from one side of the central core to the other, 18 million light years. It forms a circle, and the center of the circle is 9 million light years away. So I didn't make up this number. It's just I, I got it mm-hmm. from the data. Uh, we're talking with George Park. Yeah, He's a researcher, and uh, we're talking about the Arantia book and a lot of astronomy. Um, I want to get to, I wrote down a couple of reminders to myself to ask you these, what I think are pretty cool questions. The, the Arantia book states that there are 12 original planets in our solar system, yet we can only account for maybe 9, maybe throw in 10 if you want to in- include the planet that that comprises that asteroid belt? What is it? The Exactly, between Mars and Jupiter. So there's there's ten planets, If we, but you know now, of course, we don't consider Pluto a planet. What's your opinion of that number? The Arantia books dates are 12 planets, and yet we really, on our, our best day, can only account for ten. So in your opinion, were there two other planets? Did I miss something? They, they said that. They said that, but out, out, beyond, um, out beyond Pluto... There's something called the Kuiper Belt of Objects. Mm-hmm. The Kuiper Belt of Objects, uh, well, the uh, asteroid belt is between uh, two astronomical units, or the distance. The distance from the Earth to the Sun is one astronomical unit. The distance to the beginning of the asteroid belt is two astronomical units, and it goes a little bit beyond three astronomical units. Mm-hmm. So that could have been the fifth planet, which shattered because of orbital resonance occurring when it came close to Jupiter, just mm-hmm. broke up. Does astronomy accept that? Is, is their theory of that asteroid belt coincide with the Arantia book's narrative? I'm not sure. I mean, I think someone has proposed that and, and think other people think it's just debris that was there and cooled off. I'm not sure what their theory is. Um, but then and then far far outside uh, in the same plane is something called the Kuiper Belt. Um, after a Dutchman, I think it was a Dutchman, Kuiper, K-U-I-P-E-R. Mm-hmm. The Kuiper Belt of Objects. And that begins at about 40 astronomical units, which mm-hmm. is way out there. Mm-hmm. And goes... I don't know how much farther, maybe another 20 out to 60 or 50, somewhere. I forget the exact details. But the Kuiper Belt actually consists of two distinct uh, orbits. So now there's no, I don't know of any theory about how, I'm not sure there's any consensus on how those two really definitely different. One is aligned with the... uh, plane of the solar system, the ecliptic plane, and the other one is tilted at approximately 30 degrees to it. So it looks like there are two different causes. I think there's a consensus that there are two different causes, 
were these two different belts or rings around the solar system. But one possibility is they came from the disruption of two planets. In the Arantia book, it says the actual uh, beginnings of our solar system was affected by a large system known as Angona. And I know you know the story of this. It came within gravitational distance of our young (coughs) solar system a little bit more than 4 billion years ago. At the same time that our sun was pulsating, growing, spewing out matter, Angona was close enough to where it pulled away some of the mass, and this resulted in our system of planets coming into creation. So I have two questions related to this, which I know you've probably read and studied. Is it possible to determine the existence of a one-time system known as Angona? In other words, if we were looking for it, would we find a trace of this one-time system would it explain uh, re- would it explain retrograde motion with some of our planets, which the Arantia book uh, explains? And how does this differ? Uh, how does this presentation of the Arantia book differ from our own modern accepted theories of how our solar system was created? By and large, I don't see how the current uh, nebular model of solar system formation is credible for the very simple reason that the ecliptic plane, the plane in which the planets, the asteroid belt, and the Kuiper belt all exist, is tilted about 7 degrees to the equatorial plane of the sun. Mm-hmm. So it formed, as a, it, it formed under the current general idea that the sun just condensed from this, this uh, rotating plane Mm-hmm. and that the planets also did, then there's no way to explain how the equator of the sun is tilted seven degrees to the plane of the planets. There has to be, there had to have been some sort of external cause which would have caused that tilt. So that doesn't prove that Angona, but it does uh, prove that something caused um the ecliptic plane to differ from the equatorial plane of the sun by seven degrees. Uh, understood. Okay, so do you believe that retrograde, which no one has been able to explain to date, would be explained by, or would could be caused by a, a star or some solar, or solar neighbor that uh, exuded uh, any kind of gravitational pull? In your mind, does it make sense yeah, that's that's the only thing that makes sense because there's no um, there has to be an external cause for retrograde motion. You know, if you just have an isolated system that's revolving, you're not going to get retrograde motion. It's just it's not possible. Mm-hmm. The dynamics you have to have some external force acting on the um, ecliptic plane mm-hmm. to cause planets to vary uh, their. I mean to have retrograde motion. There's just no other way to explain it. There has to be an external cause, something external to the solar system. So, yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. I don't know why science uh, refuses. I I don't know. I don't have an answer. So let's get to the fun part, George. Uh, How do you define a system? The Arantia book says a system, of which ours is belonged to, is broken up it seems to be based on the amount of inhabited worlds. So is it safe to say that 
we're not that far away from some of these other inhabited worlds? I mean, what's your opinion about um, it? Well, the system is not um, an organic or dynamic arrangement of worlds. It's simply a geographic region, from what I read in the Arantia book. So it's a, a system of our 619 inhabited worlds doesn't orbit around some central point, point or anything. Um, in fact, it, it, in my research, it seems that all the systems in the constellation of Norlatia deck um, all orbit uh, around Edentia mm-hmm. at the center of Norlatia deck. And I think, um, I, can't, I can't prove it, but I found some evidence which suggests that Norlatia deck is roughly comparable in size to what is known as Gould's Belt, which is a region uh, we're in one uh, we're towards the outer edge we're about halfway out to the outer edge of this region called the uh, Gould's Belt which is a belt of uh, stars that's tilted about 20 20 degrees to the plane of the Milky Way galaxy. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of so if you just if you use uh, stellar density in our region of the Milky Way, uh, there might be you know a thousand or ten thousand stars within uh, fifty light years of us. So that's if that's true, then. The rest of the world in Satania are not that far from us. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything that you would like to, you know, parting words, parting ideas? You any, any parting words? I, I guess I would just say um, my general conclusion after all this research is that the Urantia book description of the universe is actually true. So. Uh, modern science doesn't currently see it or believe it, but it will eventually be shown to be correct. Not in every detail, but in terms of how it says the universe is organized, in terms of basic structures and organization, um, there's no doubt in my mind that the Arantia book will be validated uh, in that respect. Is there a place that we can go to read more of your works, George? I'm sure there are people listening that like to read more of your material and find out more. Is there a website we can go to? Do you have a, a book on Amazon.com yeah. that we should buy? I have a site, ubcosmology.com, um, where I published um, where I published my original work and, and some of the papers I've produced since. So if people are interested they can they can look at that website thank you very much george parks a leading urantia researcher on all things astronomy i really enjoyed my it. pleasure it was george park our guest founder of ubcosmology.com joining us this time up on perspectives you're listening to urantia radio